Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Gentlemen. Cam. It's been quite a while since the three of us have been in a room together. It has. It has. Mm. I was thinking that too this morning as I was, I was driving along. Um, you really left PY unfiltered last time. <laughs> I don't know. Did you? Have you listened to any of the ones? No, I didn't, PY I didn't. I didn't listen back. He, um, we went on quite the sidetrack discussing Nomeo and Juliet. Oh, I, I did hear about the Nomeo and Juliet. <laughs> really, <laughs> um, really needed Ben to bring some order and some discipline <laughs> back to this. I really. I don't, it sounded like it was. It was very fun. I don't know if I could have <laughs> diverted us back on track from there. PY was very. He actually described it to me and he said, he said something to the effect of Cam was gone. He was, uh, <laughs> he, I was just pleased that he, he got you as, as well as he did. I found more funny, um, just reminiscing now on our previous podcast, <laughs> when you, egg. you asked me to think of multinational organizations. And the first one that came to mind <laughs> for me was Gloria Jeans. <laughs> um, <laughs> It, that was your, that was your, that was your year 11 business studies project, right? Wasn't it? Or something like that? I think I did a case study in uni. Oh, wow. Honest. Yeah. Yeah. We, we did miss you, Ben. Mm. I missed it too. Sad. I was uh, feeling better. Feeling a bit unwell. But yes, feeling better. Ready to go today. Well, we are going to talk about viruses at some stage today. Ooh. We're going to begin, though, in the year 2007. Mm. What were you doing in 2007? Year one. You won. Yeah, Mrs. Mrs. Walker. Walker's class. I remember on uh, my my birthday in year one, I I brought in uh, brownies to share with my friends um, and I got a lunch order as well, which included chicken goujons mm. and chocolate milk and I threw up. In the classroom <laughs> bin, I just, I just overindulged at lunch and I threw up on my birthday. <laughs> but then I think I got to go home after that, so that was all right. <laughs> I, sorry, I just need to, before you jump in, I also threw up on my year one birthday. Oh my <laughs> it was 2004 for me. The Incredibles had come out, and yeah. me and my mum went to watch The Incredibles for my birthday, of which we bought a mega packet of barbecue chips to share. We did not barbecue share. Chips. <laughs> Say barbecue chips. Yeah. And oh. I, I, I've been repulsed by barbecue flavored chips ever since. Yeah. But yes, I did not make it through the whole Incredibles. Yeah, tough. So it's, so, like, it's like a rite of passage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Someone who said about it. to become a man. Yeah. <laughs> PY, where were you in 2007? Just, I was trying to think of an Incredibles quote that was suitable for that situation. One might come to me later. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was also a new one in Miss Walker's class. I think it was a bit of a, a rebel stage for me. Just got in with a bad crowd. <laughs> and I would spend the mornings playing 44 Homes. I think I played a lot of 44 Homes, actually. Mm. Maybe recess. 44 lunch. Homes. Uh, great game. <laughs> and I have one good memory of year one where I think I, I brought my Hot Wheels to school. 
Mm. And one of my friends um, kind of lost one and lost it. And he was um, he's kind of making fun of me about it. He's like, oh, you don't have your car. You don't have your car. And he's on the other side of the cola. And I am on the opposite side <laughs> so of the cola. So I was going to stop you there. You say <laughs> cola as though it's universally <laughs> understood. <laughs> talking a carbonated drink. Yeah. <laughs> Think about our listeners in Sri Lanka. Listeners in Sri Lanka. <laughs> Just our undercover area. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, we can continue. And um, I had the car. I had still had one car in my hand, and this guy he really riled me up. So, um, I proceed to throw the car at him. And think about one side of the cola to the other. Again, give us some meters because I mean, <laughs> only two of us okay, here know so, the <laughs> diameter of that cola. I'm trying to. I don't know. I don't know. It feels like it was like. A good 30 meters but it it's probably not it's probably about 15 really yeah but for I, a, I actually thought 30 was yeah 30 uh, that's from, kind of conservative from, oh so yeah uh, yeah yeah the, the short the short width, side the width yeah, not yeah, the length yeah but for a year one kid yeah good arm and you're made for cricket. um i clock him right on the head oh with a hot wheels yeah car. oh my days that's and then people go to jail for less than that <laughs> <laughs> and then i turn around and because we were lining up to go back into class, I turn around and the teacher is just starts storming at me, like mouth open, like just. This is not your personal best. <laughs> <laughs> not display integrity with your actions. It's there, shocking, Jake. just like pure shock. And yeah, marches towards me and um, like grabs me by the ear. And uh, yeah, I think I spent the rest of the day in another classroom. Yeah, man, I've never seen this side of you before. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know there were like extradition treaties between other classrooms <laughs> <laughs> where you can <laughs> agree to return. Yeah, I have. Um, I think I have another a bit of a rebel story from year one, but I'll save. Uh, I can share that later in the episode. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if we need a break, we'll, we'll yeah. run it back. <laughs> we probably should get into the subject for today. So, two thousand and seven. The reason why we start. I there also is, think of Kevin 07. Well, that's that's our segue <laughs> in. So, so two thousand seven is obviously Kevin 07 in his victorious campaign against John Howard. Now, today we're going to talk about the Australian-China relationship. Actually, I might even go before 2007. Let's begin with John Howard. So the mining boom really begins under John Howard. And uh, the reason that causes the mining boom is obviously we've always had those natural resources. It's not those those natural resources just suddenly emerged. But we finally had a market to sell all those natural resources to at a huge volume, which was China. China. And so we see actually Hu Jintao, the, the guy before Xi Jinping, his first state visit was to Australia because China's trying to industrialize, develop their economy. Australia's like, great, we can sell you all of our stuff and we can make a killing off of it. So... China is a really important strategic ally, at least economically, not militarily, but an economic ally coming into Kevin 07. Kevin 07 and China, what do you know? He, uh, he used to do some sort of business there that made him like, like he could speak the language yeah. and he was, uh, yeah, a bit of a guy that could was seen as, Someone who could be a, a bridge between Australia and China. Mm. I just knew he could speak the language. Yeah. That's Did impressive. he live there for a bit? He was, yeah, he used to be a diplomat over in China. Yeah, okay. He had met Xi Jinping and um, Hu Jintao before they were leaders. Mm-hmm. He, I, uh, I was just going to say, I, I learnt Mandarin in year seven and eight. Um, mm. So I can appreciate how difficult it must have been for him to yeah. become fluent in it. Um, because I'm far from that. Um, Do you remember when the language broke him? Yeah, a great video. I think I think in YouTube the video is titled "Kevin Rudd is not a happy little Vegemite." Do you know the one we're talking about, Ben? No, I, I don't think I do. Oh, okay. It just complicates uh, things. He um he's he's quite a tired guy. Um, mm. as you might imagine, working hard, working hard. And in his fatigue and in his exhaustion, he's trying to do an interview in Mandarin. Mandarin is quite a difficult language, as you've alluded to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not going well for Kevin. And he has quite the outburst. 
Well, I say quite the opposite. It really wasn't actually that bad, but mm. it's it's just not becoming of a prime minister. Yeah. To, yeah, to, to say that about someone's language. language. <laughs> <laughs> I like when he, I think he, I don't know, I'm going to say her name's like Deborah. He go, reaches, like he yells to his assistant behind the camera. He's like, Deborah, cancel this meeting for this evening. I've just had it. <laughs> I don't have the patience. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Now, Kevin 07, good relations with the Chinese he had. Mm. So it's very like, Yoda way to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I was referencing there. So, so yes, he goes to Peking University in Beijing and he makes a speech to the crowd in Mandarin. And that's really significant, right? Imagine Xi Jinping coming to UNSW or UCID and giving a speech in English to. If you told me a year ago that I'd be standing here. <laughs> And so it's really significant, right? We actually can't understate just how important it was for Kevin Rudd to be there. Now, the word that Kevin Rudd used to describe the relationship between Australia and China was one called Zhang Yul. Did you learn what that one was in Mandarin? Mm. Wait, if it's not near Jiao Shemamingza. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? <laughs> what is your Karate name? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's about the extent of what I remember. And we definitely didn't, didn't learn that word. Does it mean Friendship. It does. Wow. Um, with a with a twist. I actually did oh. pretty good at language in school. But um. So what what, what led you to believe that Zhang Yu was just a just a inkling? Just a hunch. <laughs> yeah. So Zhang Yu is a critical friend. Ah. And so that's how Kevin Rudd described the relationship between Australia and China. We because because we love you, we're going to criticize you. Out of love, oh, I see. So, you, you so you're not critical as in like super hate. important. You're saying critical as in like there's room for for feedback. Yes, Is that what you're saying? <laughs> room for critique. A compliment sandwich, <laughs> friend. <laughs> China, you are good at buying our minerals. We don't like the way you treat people in Tibet. <laughs> Your flag is red and we like that because red is the color of labor. That's <laughs> the, the dynamic that is going on between the two countries there. So. The standing is by and large pretty good. Obviously, it bodes well for the leader of a nation to be able to speak the language of the nation you're trying to build ties with. Kevin Rudd tries to position Australia as the mediator between America and China. America is obviously concerned with how China is rising to power and a threat to them kind of being the dominant global superpower. And so Kevin Rudd, as kind of with Australia being America's long-term ally, is in a perfect position to be the go-between. America actually doesn't like that very much, but that's the position that Rudd is trying to put himself in in managing the US-China relationship. Kevin Rudd also says no to the quad. Mm-hmm. Do you know who's in the quad? Um, there was a recent quad meeting, wasn't it, that Biden didn't turn up to? Yeah, what a dog. Um, so what, it's America, Australia, India, and... Great Britain? Ooh, close. Mexico? No. <laughs> Why? <laughs> no, it's, like, it's, it's not China, is it? Not China. Yeah. Um, Japan? Japan. Mm. So it's about Great Britain with Japan. So yeah. the talks had been going actually since George Bush was the president and Kevin Rudd was like, nope, that's just going to antagonize China. We don't want to encircle them. Um, that's going to provoke quite a strong counter reaction and diplomacy is the way to go. Uh, rather than kind of hawkish military aggression. That being said, Rudd was not always on the best terms with China himself. So there were basically WikiLeaks cables between Rudd and Hillary Clinton, because she was Obama's Secretary of State, i.e. Foreign Minister, where Rudd was extremely critical of the Chinese, particularly criticizing them for Tibet. Then there was another one, the Copenhagen Climate Conference, so this is at the end of 2009. Everyone goes to Copenhagen to try and agree to some principles regarding climate change. And particularly, probably the end goal of Copenhagen is to get India and China to take greater action on climate change. Copenhagen doesn't really work out the way that Rudd was hoping to. Um, and people have alleged that Rudd called the Chinese rat effers. Wow. Allegedly. Allegedly. Who alleged it? 
uh, like people who were around him, like staffers and stuff at the time. Okay. The allegation is explored in ABC's series called The Killing Seasons. It's like a three-parter on the Rudd-Gillard rivalry and Rudd and Gillard both get interviewed in this one. They ask Rudd point blank, did you say it? And he says, look, I was very sleep deprived. I can't really remember what I said that week. I speak quite directly when the media is not around as any politician does. I might've said it. I might've not. Good answer. Good political answer. (laughs) (laughs) Good at what he does. I think he could have just lied then and (laughs) just said, no, undoubtedly I did not say that. And then it just blows over. But (laughs) Kessera, Kessera. No, he owned it. He was like, AB, I did (laughs) deal with it. I I meant what I said. (laughs) So, Rudd, though he has his hiccups, he's by and large fairly positively seen by China. There's accusations that he actually really dislikes Xi Jinping personally and kind of prefers the older model of China under Hu Jintao. Kevin Rudd. Oh, so yeah, yep. So we're up to Xi Jinping now. Well, not, well, I'm just kind of, we're kind of being a bit mishmashy with our timeline here. But it's clear by 2010. Hu Jintao leaves in 2012 and they're kind of looking in China as to who would be the next successor and Xi Jinping is quite clearly becoming the heir apparent. And anyway, what happens is in 2010, what happens to Rudd? Julia Gillard happens. Julia Gillard (laughs) happens. Now, when we do the Kevin 07 episode, we will go into all the reasons as to why Labor agreed to take down Rudd and allowed Julia Gillard to come in uncontested. That is a topic for another day. There is a slight hint of US involvement in it as one of the faction bosses who helped take down Rudd was an informant for America on what was happening inside the Labor Party at the time. We will delve into that when we do Kevin 07, but it is important for the topic of this episode to note that America was pretty unhappy with Kevin Rudd and how he was trying to position himself as the mediator between America and China. Other things going on, including a mining tax that dangerously impacted American uh, the profits of American shareholders in Australian mining companies, but that's a topic for another day. All you need to know is that in 2010, Rudd was gone, Gillard was in, and she scraped over the line in the 2010 election. Gillard. Mm. She likes the quad. She's a fan. She's Remember a fan. What? You guys seen that video of Julia Gillard falling over? Oh yeah, yeah. big time. <laughs> Where was she again? India, I believe. Yeah, was she that could be quad related. She's yeah, maybe. India. I've never actually wondered the context. Yeah, no need. <laughs> <laughs> now Gillard is much more pro-US than Rudd was, and much more open about it. So she allows American soldiers to be stationed in Australia. She is very pro-Israel, and that's a big one for America. And at the same time, um, she uh, she's basically has enthusiasm for the Quad and is quite happy to sign Australia up to be in the Quad with America. So, so far, Gillard has kind of moved Australia back into the hands of America. Mm-hmm. That being said, Gillard's relationship with China wasn't entirely negative. So she did meet with, uh, well, she sent Bob Carr who used to be the, actually the Premier of New South Wales. We'll see more about that next episode. Who then became the Foreign Minister under Julia Gillard. Now, Julia Gillard had one Foreign Minister before it was Bob Carr. So Bob Carr meets with Chinese Defence Minister, Chinese Foreign Minister. They have a number of talks. It's reasonably positive. But there was another Foreign Minister before Bob Carr, who was Julia Gillard's Foreign Minister. Is it one of Penny? Not Long? Penny. Or Penny's the current Julia, Prime Minister. Julia Bishop? No, she's liberals. Julia Bishop. Oh. I, you definitely know this person. Um, it's not Wayne Swan. He was no. busy treasuring. <clears throat> yes. Um, Even more famous than Wayne Swan. Even more oh, famous like than a, Julia like Gillard. A Bill Shorten, maybe? Or a Even more famous Anthony than Albanese. Bill Shorten. Even more famous than Anthony Albanese. Eddie O'Bead. Eddie McGuire. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin 07. Oh, was he foreign minister yeah, at that I point? So, so what happened was basically, more or less, the kind of main theory is that Kevin Rudd kept leaking about Julia Gillard's affairs when Julia Gillard overtook him. 
and kind of held Gillard hostage to become foreign minister. Right. That was that was kind of that's that's kind of the the, the main allegation as to how he got his job. Anyway, Kevin Rudd, perfect candidate for foreign minister, right, because of his background in diplomacy. And so, again, the fact that he's the foreign minister is really key in keeping good relations with the Chinese. But also, when Bob Carr becomes the foreign minister, it's still kept fairly positive. In fact, even when Abbott becomes prime minister, so he wins in 2013. Who does he beat in 2013? Rudd. Yes. Always got to remember that Rudd came back a couple of months before the 2013 election. Perhaps saved a number of, of seats, particularly in Queensland, that would have gone liberal otherwise. It was also state of origin 2013. He, he announced his leadership challenge on Wednesday night and kind of like Phil Gould was like trying to do his thing under the post and they were cutting away being like, oh, we've got a new prime minister. Yeah. And Phil Gould's like, guys. Guys, the, the opening monologue. Like, <laughs> this is origin. How will people know that this is in fact origin? <laughs> yeah. I mean, chaos. You can see perhaps why the country didn't have faith. Yes. This party. And turn to Tony. Now, you would think, given the way that Tony Abbott talks about China right now, that Tony Abbott was really anti-China. Because he's quite strong in his criticism of China today. If you say. But, what's the... Why does Australia need China? Exports. Exports. And when Abbott came in, the relationship actually started really positive. So when Abbott came in, they actually signed a free trade deal in 2014, which basically meant that a free trade deal agreement not to tariff each other and put taxes when importing from each other's countries. So they signed this free trade deal. It also really benefited Chinese labor companies, uh, Chinese business companies, so that when um, Australian buildings are kind of like doing a construction or whatever, um, they can hire a very cheap Chinese labor force to come out and to work on it in Australia. So it had a whole bunch of benefits. Like I guess Albert would argue that the benefit for us was that at, we get lots of exports to China because they're not going to tax us and disincentivize their businesses to buy from us. And then if China is that the Chinese labor force can come out to Australia and work for, for Chinese conditions rather than Australian conditions effectively. Mm. So that's all really good and positive. Like Tony Abbott, you would think it would be really negative under Abbott. It's really positive. In fact, Xi Jinping actually comes out to Australia under Tony Abbott and does kind of a tour of the country, even goes to Tasmania. Wow. Yeah. What do, what do they call that? The Garden Island? Do they? The Apple Island, maybe. We do know. have about five Tasmanian listeners. Do we get in contact? Yeah. yeah. What, what do you it's call that place? One. Man, I didn't know about... The Apple Isle. Didn't know about Xi Jinping's little... Little, little, on, tour. little tour, yeah. He oh. even comes to Parliament House. Damn. And Does he gives, go to old Parliament House as well? <laughs> to learn about the Does he play Hamble at the front of Parliament <laughs> House? <laughs> Did Quite, he go to Questacon? Yeah, surely. <laughs> I, I don't know. But he definitely went to New Parliament House yeah. in which he gave a speech where Tony Abbott gave a speech as well. And Abbott said, and how great is it that China is moving towards a democracy? And Ooh. there's this big round of applause. Xi Jinping just kind of gives him a bit of a look like, yeah, whatever, we'll clap for this. But yeah, you have no idea what's going on here. <laughs> and Xi Jinping gives a speech which is really positive towards Australia. And in, he gives a speech- In English or in Mandarin? In Mandarin. Yeah, okay. In Parliament House, he gives a sp- like that. That's unfathomable right now. Yeah, yeah. That's like, like, it's like, imagine today, like Putin coming and giving a speech in Congress in America. Like it's probably just one rung below that in terms of how unfathomable that is right now. So when Abbott's in, it's all really positive. But what happens to Abbott? Malcolm Turnbull happens. Malcolm Turnbull. Now, I would argue that Turnbull was probably the most forgettable of our recent prime ministers. Mm. Abbott was a meme. So that... Mm. Yeah. He's got he's got yeah. that, that one going for him. Turnbull, the general opinion is that I don't really know who likes him that much yeah. apart from people who watch ABC. He was quite unlikable. I remember being at a Swans <laughs> game and um he ca- he was at he was in a box somewhere and the camera turned to him and the crowd booed. Mm. And I was like, Oh, 
It's a bit harsh. <laughs> why are we booing? Do, you, do we know why we're booing? It's it's like the referee getting their medal yeah. at the end of the grand final. They're never going to get cheered. Like, yeah. 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 Whereas Scott Bob Morrison's response when he was shown on camera at the Swans game was kind of like a mixture of boos and, oh, ScoMo. Really? Because there's the one of the tennis where Scomo he was gets a, like pumped. was a meme, right? Yeah, so, Scomo's more of a meme, I guess. Yeah. And then the last time I was at a Swans game, Jason Derulo came on camera <laughs> and that was the biggest cheer of the night. <laughs> <laughs> well, f- rightfully so. That yeah. was, was he wearing a half-half shirt? <clears throat> <laughs> no, he was not wearing the half-half shirt, unfortunately. The thing, do you remember when Malcolm Turnbull commentated on the cricket? No, I don't. Uh, it rings a bell because I've seen like like Albanese's done it since. Yeah, Sco- Scomo's did it since as well. Um, so yeah, I've definitely remember Prime Ministers having a stint on the commentary team with with Warney and Michael Vaughan. Yeah, James Bracey, I remember. I think I, I think it was him who was commentating. Like once when the delivery came through, he's like, "Oh, that ball had more swing than the Wentworth by-election, Malcolm." Hey, and he's trying to like. <laughs> Sound really highbrow. Malcolm's <laughs> just kind of not having it. He <laughs> was like, you stay in cricket. Let me talk about politics. <laughs> but Malcolm, again, largely forgettable. You can kind of look at other policies that he has, like national energy guarantee and kind of that contributing to his downfall. I think for me, the really important thing that Malcolm Turnbull does in relation with China is he does two things. The first one happened after... Remember PY when we looked at the pivot to Asia, we talked about the fishermen and the standoff they had between the Philippines and China. Yeah. So if you kind of forget the story, Ben, Chinese fishermen enter a place called Scarborough Shoal. That's off the coast of the Philippines to fish. I remember this one. Yeah. Philippines argued it's their waters. China argued it's their waters. And the authority that China appeals to was something called the Nine Dash Line that was drawn all the way back in the 1940s that kind of claimed China's territory territory or territorial seas as being this kind of huge line around the South China Sea. And so China's appeal to the like the authority that they're appealing to is that nine dash line. What happens is it goes to a tribunal in The Hague. The Hague says, no, the nine dash line has no authority. That land is Filipino or that those seas are Philip that's an invasion of Filipino sovereignty. Australia comes out straight away and says, yeah, back down. Like, you got told. Um, there is no authority to the nine-dash line, and please respect the decision of the tribunal. Was Australia going to go against the tribunal? Well, never. Um, but it was so quick to come out and say, yeah, you got told. And so Turnbull kind of starts to position Australia away from China. A much more significant one came with a guy called Sam Dastiari. Mm. Have you heard of him? Have I ever? Yeah, I remember a couple of Friendly Geordies videos about him a few years ago, I think. Oh, really? Um, maybe. Or maybe I've just made that up. Um, yeah, I remember I remember seeing his face, hearing about him and his Chinese ties. Mm. So Sam Dastiari effectively didn't disclose donations from um, from Chinese businesses that were given to him. The other one as well was that he also gave a speech. So Labor's policy was that the nine dash line wasn't binding and they agreed with the Liberal Party that it had no authority. Sam Dastiari gave a speech saying the nine dash line had authority and China was right to assume that it was their waters because the nine dash line means that it is Chinese territory. And he was a believer in the nine dash line. Not good for Sam Dastiari. Mm. Not good at all. So he had to step down. And then when he steps down, Turnbull rushes through a whole bunch of laws regarding lobbying. I.e. you have to be really transparent and we're going to make it really limited in receiving money from foreign countries. Now, again, that's that's a good law in of itself. Very few people would dispute the fact that you need to be really transparent in receiving donations from other countries. That's a common sense rule, mm. but it's the subtext that's really important. It's right off the back of Dastiari. The target's not America, it's not Britain, it's not France, it's China. And Turnbull has made it really clear that if you get in bed with China 
and that if you accept money from China, you will be dragged through the mud for doing so. Now, again, in, in isolation, that's a perfectly good rule. I completely agree with that. Would never dispute being transparent around foreign donations, but it's the subtext. Foreign donations have been happening since the beginning of time. The issue is, where's that, for, where's that undisclosed foreign money coming from? It's coming from China. And Turnbull kind of raises the red flag on that one when this sort of thing had been happening with other countries from the beginning. And so China, it, it, we've got to look at how China perceives this. China perceives this as this is an attack on us. And then the, start, and then the relationship is starting to get fractured after that. What ends up happening in Turnbull? Scott Morrison happens, <laughs> as Big I would say. Yes. Who rolled him? Dutton. Dutton. So Dutton rolled him. What's Dutton's view on China? Uh, pr- probably not progressive. Yes. Well, like, yeah, well, yeah like, well, uh, just, just, yeah, China bad. Yeah. And he, drum, like, he drums up the fear of China, probably bigger than any politician apart from Morrison. So Dutton takes down Turnbull. Dutton gets all sorts of powerful ministries, particularly the Home Affairs Ministry. And Scott Morrison's the one who's put in charge and put as the leader of the party. The relationship. I remember that the leadership spill. What a thrilling day! And it was in um in high school that was happening. We just started lunch with one prime minister and ended with another. It was it was wild. They say a day is a long time in politics. <laughs> and the relationship was about to get really bad under Morrison. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So... 2018, ScoMo came in. May of 2019, what did ScoMo do? He wins the unwinnable election. He wins oh. the unwinnable election. <laughs> Speaks volumes of his character, doesn't it? My it, gosh. He had a go and he got a he go. He got a go in return. Yeah. Having a go. Now, he didn't ask for a handout. He just put his hand up. <laughs> It's really the more you look back at that election, you're like, how? Well, no, it's very clear how they won in the sense that um, negative gearing and and franking credits were kind of really key issues in some of the swing states. Yeah, I remember, I remember arguing with with our good friend Harry about negative gearing and franking credits <laughs> <Yeah>. at 19. <laughs> I look back at that, like, I remember that. I don't know why I felt so strongly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I must have the, been um, um, at the Sydney FC game. Yeah, Mother's Day massacre. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it was very. It did I think I quite get tense. Yeah, I think I'd I'd obviously watched a bit, a bit of Friendly Geordies, um, and was just riled up about, <laughs> about the injustices. Of- I wasn't really listening. I was probably just prodding every now and then, just like <laughs> putting fuel to the fire. <laughs> the key thing about the 2019 election is Morrison's not expecting to win, and he wins. The thing is, is that for eight months, like he came in to power on the election season. So he can't really enact any sort of policy that he wants to enact because everything is just trying to buy votes. And that would be true if it was Labor too. I'm not having to go to the Liberal Party. If you come in with eight months to go before an election or whatever it was, you have to move really quickly and you just gotta you're basically on marketing mode for, for eight months straight. Some would argue that is always on marketing. <laughs> I hate those people. Anyway, um when have I, have I told you like the the first thing they or not the like in marketing one hundred and one 
the example that they use of horrible marketing. Is that Scammers Tourism? Yeah. Where the bloody hell yeah. are you? Is that so when I was doing Marketing 101, Scott Morrison was our prime minister. And the example they're giving, like their go-to example for this is like not to, this is what not to do in marketing was the campaign ran by our current prime minister. <laughs> um, I just found that funny. I just yeah, thought it was yeah, like, a bit ironic. <laughs> what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. It's one of those lines. It's like, look, I've got plenty of criticism of Scott Morrison. We're about to go through some of them. The thing that really annoys me is when people say Scotty from marketing as though it's an original call. It's like, yeah. Hey guys, 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 oh, wait, 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 I'm about to roast the prime minister. Wait, 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 wait for it. Wait for it. Scotty from marketing. Oh. And like, are they expecting the people to be like, Oh, like, dude, that's so true. Oh. That's so true, bro. Wow. Oh my gosh. Wow. Marketing's a noble profession. <laughs> <laughs> so ScoMo wins the election and now we can actually start to enact the policy that he wants. Now, a lot of the interest groups in the Liberal Party are firstly pro-American because there's a lot of American business ties there, but there's also a huge military tie, not necessarily to the army itself, but to arms manufacturers. And so those two interest groups are very keen on Scott Morrison pivoting strongly towards America and away from China. But then you've actually got the mining lobby who are not keen for Australia to completely antagonize China because that's where they make all their profits by China buying Australian minerals. In that kind of contest that's going on there, it it does appear that the pro-US lobby won quite convincingly. So Scott Morrison does a number of things quite quickly. The first one that he does is that he actually signs a letter condemning China for the way that they treat their Uyghur Muslims. This is back in 2019. And so he moves quite quickly after the election to start making strong moves against China. We think in our heads that Australia has been anti-China for a long time. It's only been really pronounced pretty much just since the doorstep of COVID. Until then, we were much more even-handed with our coverage of China. Then we became much more antagonistic uh, right on the doorstep of COVID. So that happens back in 2019. You might remember in 2019, there were the Hong Kong protests. Mm -hmm. And obviously, Scott Morrison strongly takes Hong Kong's side um, and not the PRC's side. We're going to put that one on pause because chronologically, that overlaps with COVID. So COVID, China virus, we've discussed on the podcast before. China didn't let us in at that exact time as well due to PY's hyphenated last name. Yeah. And when we say us, we mean us three specifically. Sorry, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the whole nation, just um, China Southern Airlines. The whole nation mourned as we <laughs> were denied. It engines. was really a, a kind of just a small symptom of such a broad problem, really. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why we didn't declare World War Three then and there. Yeah, yeah. yeah right on. Slippery slope from that point. I remember standing in the line at RTA uh, during COVID. So like we had to wait outside and socially distanced. And like the guy in front of me or behind me who started talking to me in the line was just, I mean, yeah, like he was, I thought it was racist. <laughs> like um, kept calling it, yeah, like China virus. And um, I don't know, like say if, a, if there was another like a Chinese or just an Asian person in the line, really, he was like, um, oh, like he was telling me like, oh, don't go near them. Stuff Jeez. like that. And yeah. That's that's a really awkward situation for me. <laughs> <laughs> like, do I do I laugh it off? Do I just yeah. oh yeah. I was just like, okay. I'm just gonna not talk to this person. <laughs> I think the thing that I, I don't understand in that situation is how does he think like if I'm talking to a stranger, I am so cautious in revealing anything that might be remotely divisive mm. in terms of mm. things that I believe in. And if it does like, if it doesn't need to be said, like, yeah, like, why would you, it's like, it's like, would you, is it worth talking politics with a stranger at all? Not really. Um, but in his head, how has he gone? This is an opinion that I know everyone's going to hold. Yeah. 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 Um, how does he not realize that he's, and I, I guess a lot of fringe people don't yeah. realize that they're fringe, but 
Yeah, that is that is quite an awkward one to be in. And yeah. you kind of have your, your buzzfeeds and all that that will say, you need to stand up to racism and you need to like, you know, take a stand in that moment or whatever. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but how productive is that even like to begin with? Like, what are you going to do? Be like, no, yeah, you're like, and then oh, just have a huge confrontation that gets nowhere that probably. And yeah, the guy's like, oh, you're actually right. Yeah, um, what I said was ignorant and it was unfair, and I apologize. And it's only going to further lock him in his beliefs anyway, because yeah. now he's fought over it. Yeah, I said to him, uh, "Oh no, 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 no!" And he's like, "Oh yeah, you, you can't say that, can you?" <laughs> <laughs> so, long story short, obviously, COVID happens. Q twenty twenty comedian being like, "So COVID, so twenty twenty happened, right?" <laughs> <laughs> um, but the issue is that we want to focus on is that Australia ordered uh, an inquiry into the WHO. So went to the World Health Organization and said, we need an inquiry into the outbreak of COVID because China is not being completely transparent with how COVID actually happened. China, really annoyed, lobs a whole bunch of tariffs and taxes onto Australian imports, mm. particularly for your barley, for your lobster, for your wine. And I remember doing, did a project on, like, on the wine exports at the start of 2021. Um, and yeah. A lot of tariffs, a yeah. Lot of, uh, lot of money lost. A lot of Tasmanian, a lot of Tasmanians re- really suffered because yeah. their fuckers' uh, vineyards are heavily Tasmanian. Yeah. Okay. So Xi Jinping went from being their friend mm. to being true. Yeah. Yeah. They probably still remember. It's like remember when he was in Hobart. Yeah. Remember when he did the Cradle Mountain Walk in Manchester. <laughs> <laughs> and so that happens at the same time. The Australian government condemns the Hong Kong security law. Basically, the Hong Kong security law was the PRC declaring martial law in Hong Kong to kind of bring the protest to an end. And so, like, that is a can of worms in itself. I'm not going to touch on whether the law was right or wrong and whether it should be condemned or not, because that's a conversation in of itself. What is important is in how you kind of manage your disagreements with a country. So Kevin Rudd was always critical friend, critical friend, critical friend, Jeng Yu, Jeng Yu, Jeng Yu. Morrison kind of comes out and basically just says that like China's committing a horrendous act of authoritarianism and is very gung-ho about his criticism of China. That's antagonizing them further. They're kind of drifting further and further apart, particularly with all the tariffs that are on. Fast forward to 2021. Oh, I should actually add before we get there, China wrote up a list of 14 grievances it had with Australia. Ah, yeah. I think I remember those. So not, not them specifically, but I remember <laughs> them being aggrieved. And it was kind of more or less like a diss track to Australia. <laughs> um, particularly the ones that they were really concerned with is stop intervening in our internal affairs. So we didn't intervene in the Cronulla riots. So you do not intervene when we have issues with Hong Kong and Taiwan. Bizarre, like oh, I, parallel, I, but I, I I'm hear. using the Cronulla rights. That's I not hear. them using yeah, Cronulla yeah. rights as an example. <laughs> no, no, I gather that. It's like, yeah. And and so it's like we haven't, we've never intervened in any of your internal affairs. Mm. So please stop posturing on us when we deal with our internal affairs. And that kind of there's there's, there's a whole bunch of other ones as well that creates further tension. We fast forward to 2021. Peter Dutton says that a Chinese ship has been found off the coast of Australia. That largely gets forgotten about and not really much coverage is given to that because what happens is a month later in September, we sign AUKUS. And we've done in the US-China relationship, we've discussed the implications of AUKUS on China and how China's pretty annoyed with it. And yeah, China were, were pretty furious because this is quite clearly... They even said it themselves that this is in response to China's military buildup. So mm. AUKUS, these nuclear-powered subs, are a response to what China's been doing. And so by the end of 2021, the relationship's no good. If I thought of 2022, it gets even worse. Scott Morrison called Anthony Albanese a rude name in Parliament. A bumhead. <laughs> He called him the Manchurian candidate. Mm. Now, let's go back historically. Mm. What do you remember about Manchuria? So was that like kind of um, what China was called <laughs> before it was China? 
No, it was that a part. Area? It was part of northeast China. Uh, yeah. It was, was invaded. Start of oh. World War One. Uh, end oh. of World War. So in between World War One and World War Two. Right. Yeah. A lot of people attribute it as the initial outbreak of World War Two. So it didn't begin yeah. with the invasion of Poland. It began with the invasion oh. of Manchuria, where Japan yeah. invaded northeast China, set up a puppet oh. ruler, yeah. Uh, yeah. and that was the key. That it was a puppet leader ruling on behalf of Japan, i.e that a Manchurian candidate is a slur for someone who's controlled by another country. Mm. Morrison used that against Albanese because Albanese hadn't been quite as uh, kind of gung-ho with his criticism of China. The thing that gets me is that Morrison pretends that this is just passion. And like, clearly this is a very calculated name. He's planned it the night before. Mm. Yeah, we're going to call him the Manchurian candidate. The cameras will get this on and we'll kind of stick Albanese with being soft on China. But in the debate, he's like, and another thing, and another thing. And he, he's, the, he's the Manchurian candidate. And he's acting like he's really wound up and like, mm. um, it was absolutely, I have no question about this at all. 100% purely calculated and not at all in the heat of the moment. Yeah. That one didn't work though. And the liberal strategy in 2022 was associate Labor with being soft on China and the liberals with being tough on national security. And obviously didn't work, Labor won. And it's been somewhat positive since then. So Richard Miles, our deputy prime minister, met with the Chinese defense minister. Xi Jinping met with Anthony Albanese, actually. There you go. Do you remember or any guesses where? Was it in um, India or Pakistan? Nearly there. You're in the right right ballpark. India, Pakistan's a good guess. Sri Lanka, further south. Mm. Where would a lot of where do a lot of Australians end up? Bali. Bali. They met in Bali. They met they? in Bali. Albo, just any excuse to get over there. And, uh, <laughs> oh, you yeah, guys, I need a get a little a, little henna drawing on his arm. And, uh, <laughs> Some pirated DVDs. Yeah, get some cornrows in his hair. <laughs> yeah, you remember Albanese seeing the uh, the Indian Modi Prime Minister or President? Uh, Prime Minister, Prime I believe. Minister. Yeah, Modi. Yeah, do you remember him? And that was before the last Test match in Ahmedabad, and they did like a they got in the back of a Ute, I think, and did a, a circle, a lap around the ground like, <laughs> to the crowd. That's pretty cool. It's like really that. strange though, but mm. like this all this fanfare. No, I love that because Modi's been in Australia. Have you seen the fanfare for Modi? Yeah, people at work were telling me about it, that it's like such a huge deal. Like this guy's like a real a real figure. Yeah. I love it. I yeah. love it. Bring back, we need more cult of personality in, in, <laughs> in politics, if you ask me. Uh, I feel like that contradicts what you said about Gladys Berejiklian um, and the cult of personality surrounding <laughs> no, it. No, when did I say I was critical of it? I just I just pointed out that it was a thing. I, I love cult of personality. <laughs> and so Albo met with Xi Jinping. It was, I believe, a 33-minute meeting. Mm. So Concise. Efficient. Yes. No small talk. No small talk. Yeah. I don't think they really discussed that much. Albo just said, look, we don't think Taiwan is independent. We think Taiwan is part of China, but we don't want you to invade Taiwan. That was kind of the policy. We, the kind of, we call it the status quo policy or the one China policy. And apart from that, there wasn't really too much that was done. And AUKUS, when Labor doubled down on AUKUS and kind of spelled out the details back in, what, March, April... Yeah, that annoyed China as well, but the situation is still significantly better than it was a year ago. Mm. Um, and Penny Wong has has been much more productive than Maurice Payne has been was. So Maurice Payne was our old foreign minister. Uh, Penny Wong has been significantly better in having a positive relationship with China and finding areas where we can agree on, while not conceding on the areas where we disagree. And so we're in a somewhat hopeful position, but going into like set, but the issue was that going into 2022, Albo could not afford to risk saying AUKUS maybe isn't a good idea. Because if Albo appears remotely soft on China, that is just a free hit for the Liberal Party. Mm. And so because the Liberals had framed the debate around whoever is tougher on China is better that actually has still created long-term damage, even though they are out of office in Australia's relationship with China. 
And so we're in a situation right now where we kind of, the US-China relationship, we discussed the possibilities of World War Three. We're not going to re-go over that again today. But we are in a situation right now where our relationship with China is far from positive. Imagine if Xi Jinping did come out to Australia, he would not be getting the Modi treatment. He would not be getting the Modi fanfare that he's getting. Mm. And the issue is a lot of the human rights accusations that are leveled against China could also be leveled against India, particularly with how um, they've acted in the Kashmir region. And there's no way that Xi Jinping would ever get the, the greeting that Modi did. And part of that is because of what's happened in the last 10 years. Xi Jinping was out here in 2014 and he got a very positive reception. Now, any chance of that happening is, is gone, at least for like 10, 15 years at the very least. Mm. And so there's a lot of work to be done with our diplomacy with China. And it'll be interesting to see what comes ahead. I reckon if he came, I'd, I'd go have a look. I'd just like to see him, I think. Whether or not, I don't think I'd cheer for him. Um, <laughs> I might boo him if I thought like <laughs> Just kidding. Um, Get him to the... Next Swans game. Yeah, sure. <laughs> he does love his, his red, you know. <laughs> I think the Swans would be a good fit. Um, yeah. Would you? If he was having a... a an, giving a speech. An, at, evening, um, an evening with Xi Jinping. <laughs> <laughs> Intimately Xi Jinping. Um, on the steps of the Opera House, perhaps, he gives a little address. Um, I'm watching at the Oxford Art Factory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would stream his single if he. <laughs> uh, I, I would hundred uh, percent. If Xi Jinping's giving a speech, I'm absolutely going. Mm. It's 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 historical. Like it's like mm. it's it's groundbreaking. Um, yeah, like it's it's it'd be very significant. And again, is like I, I hate guilt by association. So I hate the idea that you going to watch Xi Jinping is you agreeing with one hundred percent of China's policies you having no sympathy for what's happening in Xinjiang or in Tibet or anything like that. Obviously that's not an endorsement. Mm. And so on those grounds, I'd absolutely go. Yeah. No, very fair. Oh, depends if I had anything else on. I think. <laughs> <laughs> might have, might have five aside. Might, yeah. <laughs> might have soccer training. <laughs> I don't know if I miss five or something. Uh, well, we will see everyone next week where we're going to look at Eddie Obeid and what happened in New South Wales Labor. Oh, I'm excited.